Hello, I'm Pete Raby, and you are listening to the Leadership Learns podcast. Today, I'm joined by Marin Schlieper, Chief Strategy Officer of German digital insurance unicorn, WeFox. Marin's career has seen her working with the likes of Groupon and PayPal before joining and scaling WeFox since 2017. Great to meet you, Marin. Can you tell us about your journey to becoming as Chief Strategy Officer, or how your role has evolved since you joined in 2017? Uh, yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, happy to be here and really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, I started, as you just said, in 2017, actually as the first project manager at WeFox. So like before, obviously projects were done, but trying really to professionalize it, to set it up. But actually kind of fast was, was leading into a PMO role. So building up a proper project management office um, and also change management. And therefore also being very fast, like after only a few months, I think after six months, becoming part of uh, the C-level uh, of WeFox, uh, that was uh, the pure distribution company at this point of time, right? And this role evolved over the time because uh, like, I think a year after I joined or just probably even less, we actually had not only the WeFox distribution, but we also founded the insurer at this point of time, one insurance that meant complexity was increasing rapidly. Um, so the need of a PMO also cross-company within the whole group, in the WeFox group, was coming up. So the team was growing, more projects coming in, more challenges already coming in, because as an insurer, you're regulated, right? So uh, this is something that you have to get used to if you're the typical startup guy or girl and you're actually the first time facing something like this. And yeah, this, uh, this is what I did and, um, also tried to build up PMOs in the, in, in all of the different entities of the group. And in the end, uh, yeah, I think in 2021 roundabout, like it was like every was, it was working everywhere and there was a clear need at a certain point of time being live in six or seven countries, having an insurer, having the platform business and having the distributors still growing still like crazy more than 100% for a year, there was a need that somebody supports the CEO with a strategy building, right? That is especially meant that I supported him in building up frameworks. How are people involved? Who do we need? How do we actually transform this into projects that can then be tackled by the project teams and the things? So yeah, this is how I got there. Um, so um, to be honest, it was just, I was growing with the company, right? And my responsibility, actually, even though there were a lot of challenges and huge growth, I was able to grow into this role and we were able to just switch it on at the point of time when the company needed it. For listeners that don't know the full WeFox story so far, the journey, the growth, the speed, do you just want to give us some numbers for a bit of context there? Because it, yeah, growth means different things to different organizations, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, like, uh, as I said, right, it's uh, something we made happen is, uh, and that was... Um, that was very surprising. I think even for us that this was really possible, although we always aimed for it, that we were always growing more than 100% year on year, right? This meant in the beginning, right, being a complete, so we started as a distribution app, right? So we were working B2B to C. <laughs> so the customer was actually the touch point of the brokers you were working with. You built those platforms. And as I said, when I joined, like in 2017, the company was about two years old, one and a half, two years old. We were 100 employees, um, only based in Switzerland, Austria, and the headquarter Berlin. And then we slowly started getting into other countries. We we actually founded the second company, so the insurer, as I said, and uh, in the end, suddenly achieved the unicorn state. Yeah, so that meant like 
people-wise, country-wise, revenue-wise, we were like growing like crazy in all different dimensions. And this in a, in a very fast manner and also something we learned already on the run, right? So this is really meaning like you can also grow too fast because you obviously need people and the frameworks and everything to deal with it. And this is one of the challenges that I've seen like in, in all, all of my career, but especially in the strategy area at the end. Knowing our listener base as we do, I know that an, an awful lot of businesses that listen in are going through that growth journey. Again, WeFox is super interesting. We're worth the read up for those that aren't familiar with the name, but ultimately they really went in to do what you do in a quite a different way and quite a, you know, not controversial, but a way that people, there was a lot of skeptics about it. It was kind of like, mm, how are you going to get that model working? And you guys went against the grain a little bit to kind of, uh, to do your business model as you did. The question that I was really looking forward to talking about, Marion, was the biggest challenges you faced in growing the company to its current scale. I know that uh, I refer to it all the time as chapters that businesses go through when they're sub 10 people, sub 50 people, sub 200 people is very different. And there's different challenges that are right on each, on each chapter of the journey. It'll be great to get your take in relation to what, when you just stop momentarily, what, what do you regard your biggest challenges since 2017 having been? So first of all, what I want to say, and this is also something I always tell the founders of the early, early stage startups that are mentoring and coaching, it's like, you know, you will manage one challenge, you will be very proud, but shortly, when, while, while being proud of that, the next challenge is already around the corner, right? So it's like, um, I think this is one of the things that everybody has to have on mind. Hyper growth is an amazing thing. You have a lot of things to celebrate, but you have as many challenges. Um, so what I would say is, um, like culturally, for example, there's one big challenge. When I started, I actually knew everybody by name. Right. So I, that didn't matter which office, um, in which meeting I came. Like actually you knew everybody. You also had a manner to work together. You were used to that. Right. And then suddenly, like it was not only growth, it was what everybody would define as hyper growth. I started to come into offices that I've never been to before, where there were actually only people that I've never seen before. So you came in and everybody knew me because they've seen me in a town hall or in, you know, in, in any kind of event or meeting. And I wasn't, everybody was like, hi, Marin. And I felt like, oh my God, like they know my name. I should know theirs, right? So this step culturally is one of the, yeah, one of the most critical ones for me looking at this area. And this is not really, this is not easy. Everybody always thinks like, yeah, but there are other challenges in hypergrowth, but the culture I really want to point out. Then... It's obviously your, for example, we started in German speaking countries. So Switzerland, Austria, Germany. Then you always say, okay, obviously you have an English like translation, right? Of all of your tools and all of the things. And you're also your employees are used to speak English, right? And German. And then suddenly you, you have a huge opportunity. Everything works out. The growth goes on. You go into a country. Let's take, for example, Italy and you're there realizing, okay. German doesn't help. English doesn't help because you really need Italian. And to be honest, this challenge we were able to manage because we were always working. We were always expanding uh, to new countries by actually working together with very successful or the most successful business that we were able to work together with and to do an M&A and to the country. So we had the local experience. But, but I can see this for a lot of companies that this is one of the challenges, right? As soon as you get out of your comfort zone language-wise, this is a huge challenge because you have to rethink everything and also the culture changes. Then it's exactly one thing you mentioned, right? So 
company with a 50 employees or 100 employees doesn't need, for example, a chief strategy officer. So when is the right point of time to actually build up certain roles, not only on the really senior management, but also below? When do I need to scale the teams in a certain way? When do I need to get new roles in? When do I need to get in probably experts from the old industry? This is one of, this is a huge challenge. If you get in experts from the old world too early, you will destroy your culture and you will destroy your innovation because they will come in and they will overrule you because they obviously know better <laughs> because they did this for quite some time. If you get them in too late, you might miss actually to jump on, to jump on the train that makes sure that you can cover everything that was done in the old world and transform it into the new world. This is a challenge that, that was really tricky, right? When do I get these people in? Until when are the startup guys who were the founders and early employees? Until when are they able really to manage everything? And when do you need to get in somebody from, like in our case, it was Zurich Insurance or from, from any other big insurer or distributor? What's the right point of time? To be honest, that's a challenge. You have to find it out. And most likely you will, you will do it wrong one time and you will experience and say like, okay, that's too early. It doesn't work out. So you, you find a way around. Um, and in the end, also to make sure that you create mixed profiles so that actually the people who are growing up in the company career-wise, that they have a chance to actually take best from all the new world, bring it together and actually become the new generation who will be the ones who are actually started their career in the new world, being supported by the people from the old world. People always say, yeah, that's obvious and I can handle this, but it's, it's different than you expected, to be honest, when you're right in the middle. You touched upon it, but I'd love to delve a bit deeper because I, I agree with you. You know, since the time that we've set up our unique offices, yes, you can have some core values and you can be aiming for where you want to be aiming to longer term. But the reality is culturally, there are some big differences between places, between cities even. It'll be fascinating to hear how you guys now go about making sure that you've got the cultural strength that we know will have the best retention in a highly competitive job market? First of all, like, as I said, right, so the dif different countries, we really were lucky that we were always working together with, with professionals who know the market, who know the customers, who know also the, the businesses, right, in this area, that we work together with them. And one of the really most important things was we listened, right? So we didn't just say like, okay, we now take what we did in the headquarter, what we do in the headquarter or in the existing um, entities we have, we just roll it over and said, okay, we have to come together. The biggest challenge was in our case that actually two times we bought companies that had more employees than we, than we Fox did at this point of time. So it's a challenge, right? If you see like, hey, we are 150 or 200, and there's coming a company like with 400 employees. Like how to make sure, right, that it's also not going the wrong direction. <laughs> so how, to, how do you make sure that really use the synergies and you actually really collaborate on those things to move them forward and to bring them into the right direction? One thing to mention here, especially in the tech startup world, who in the tech startups who are trying to disrupt old industries, one of the biggest challenges as well is that culturally, a salesperson is very different from a tech person. So. How do you make sure that actually people talk to each other, but they also understand each other? How can those people live in the same culture? They have completely different expectations. Some sales guys from, from the old world say like, yeah, it's only money. So I'm here for the money. That's it. And the tech guy is there for innovation. He wants to change the world. He, you know, he's trying new things. And how do you do that, right? How do you bring those two guys together 
especially then if you're also not only tech and sales, but also, for example, Spain and France or like uh, Spain and Germany. How do you connect those? And actually, this is one of the reasons why I really started or like decided to become professional PMO 10, 11 years ago, because I said like, this is something for some reason I can do. I can bring those people into a room and I can make sure they understand each other and in the end fighting for the same goal. Because this is one of the, another big challenge, right? If you have people in the room who think they are fighting for the same thing and believe in the same thing, but they don't because they just missed, they just didn't understand the other person. So what, what are some of the things, you know, some specifics really, Marin, that, that you've tried and failed at? What are some of the things that would be more effective? You know, like one of the greatest examples from the tech world is often the town hall meetings on a monthly basis. I mean, I think we've got a separate conversation or question when it comes to the integration from an M&A perspective about how that can possibly, or the principles that you stick to, to do these things well. But I'd really be interested to know from a, that cultural perspective, the people, the belonging perspective, the singing from the same hymn sheet perspective, what other things that are true to we Fox that you know are so important? What are some of the things that you found to be the most effective to give you what you need? I would separate there between like, you know, update meetings that you need to have on a regular base to, and, and also give people access to certain information and then like really like big, huge events around the strategy, right? Or vision or achievements. So. One thing that was really successful and everybody everybody loves it is that once a year um, we are doing a roadshow. Uh, roadshow means we are going like, uh, for example, last year, Julian, our CEO and me, we were traveling into all the seven offices within 10 days. So it was a lot of train, <laughs> a lot of trains, a lot of cars, uh, a lot of airplanes. But to make sure Julian personally can be there to present the Milestones for the next year, the achievements of the last year, remember and bring back really the, the vision and the mission of our company, why we are here into the heads of the people, spend time, right? Also show them like, hey, I'm a human being, I'm a person, I'm here, I want to talk to you. So spend time with them, share the most important information and updates to make sure everybody is set up for success in the next year. This is one thing that I think from uh, a strategy perspective was the most crucial event we had. And uh, content-wise, obviously, it's a challenge. You need to adjust it a bit for each country because if they are focusing, for example, in Barcelona on our tech hub, obviously, we, we don't have to talk about really dry sales topics, right? So we focus more on the innovation piece. What is What, what are our, uh, our milestones and uh, what we want to achieve there next year? Then coming to a more like update and keeping people in the loop, right? Because if you are working like crazy in a hyper-growth company, the most important thing from my perspective is to keep the people updated about achievements, but also where we are to make sure they can see where all their hard work leads to. Because this, from my perspective, was something that, that a lot of companies are missing. So there we go into town halls, but also team meetings, where we really, we really enabled and pushed our, all the team leads to say like, hey, have a team meeting once a week because we want you to be close to your team, to be a great leader, to guide them through challenges, but also to celebrate with them. So town halls and team meetings in a good combination because what you should avoid is to have too many meetings. So actually when one is finished, you're already preparing the next one. So there is no chance that anything can happen. So it gets boring. So people don't join and people just see it as an additional lunch break. <laughs> instead of a really important meeting. 
So I think those two, th- those things are important and keep it to a minimum and keep it simple. There's like a bit of the magic here. And have you guys got a, like a leadership formula where you kind of say to all of your leaders, this is the expectation that we have, like a minimum of these things? Do you kind of let people do as they see fit? How much kind of, uh, yeah, how much free reign do people get on, on the communication side? A lot of things are actually decided per department. So, for example, one C-level has like um, can decide, for example, okay, what's the best way, what's the best working model for my teams, right? So, do I want to offer fully remote options or do I need people to be in the office like three days a week, just starting there, right? Up to how many meetings do I want to have? Do I want to have them in person? Do I need everybody at the same place? Because... Being an international company, obviously, this is a challenge because you have one team that is probably spread over three countries, especially from what we learned during COVID. Is it really necessary that people travel travel that much? Is it really necessary that people come there or are there, aren't there meetings that you actually can easily do like remote? So um, th- these are some of the things. But so what we tell them is there are different options. So we have certain expectations. For example, you need to have a team meeting. You want every leader to have a team meeting. Because we believe in that leadership is really about also supporting each other, coming together, working as a team. Um, and also this is one, one of our values. So we have five, five core values that we had from day one. And one of it is like, we are team players. And this is very, very important. So actually we have a guideline that is in line with the company values that shows up the people. What do we expect from you as a leader? But we leave them the flexibility to design it in a way that it makes sense and you don't block people from their tasks or you actually don't like disrupt their days, for example. So how they do it um, is actually in their decision um, to make sure that employees are happy. We're having uh, engagement service every month uh, with a different kind, different set of questions. Some of them repeated tw- twice a year, uh, others more often um, to make sure that we get the feedback directly from the employees because in the end, this is whom you're do it, doing it for, it's for the employees, not for the leader, not for the management. It's for them to make sure they have the support, but also the guidance uh, and the information they need to enable the company to actually even perform in hypergrowth. Briefly, and maybe this is unfair to be relatively briefly, in the M&A world, of the listeners that are going through it, thinking about going through it or are going through it now, did you have core principles that allowed you to keep in good stead? Because I'd imagine some M&A can be done where there's not exactly a warm team ready to welcome you in. It's kind of a bit of like, who the hell are you lot? This is who we are and everything else in between. So I'd love to get your experiences on that. Obviously, right. When we did our first baby steps in M&A, obviously everybody, right? You have to learn. You do mistakes. Um, And one of the things we learned that is actually really one of the the core principles when we also do M&A during the due diligence, we're not only checking the typical things that everybody thinks of when talking about due diligence, we are actually also having a cultural due diligence. So we're bringing the people together. We go into an exchange. We talk about expectations. We talk about how we can actually make employees part of WeFox from day one. So how can we make sure they don't feel like what you always hear, like with big M&As, like not in our case, but let's, you know, let's take really two big corporate companies being merged. You already know that actually one of the CMOs and one of the CSOs and one of the COOs will lose their job, right? Because you merge them for a reason, you will bring them together. And this was never our goal. So 
when we are doing this first next to the cultural due diligence, what we also do is really making sure that we understand expectations, but that they also understand our expectations, right? So why do we do this? Why is each person that is coming with this new company as a part, a part into Refox, why is each person, each employee that important, right? Each manager and everybody else. So we also made sure that, for example, the CEOs or founders, right, of the companies were integrated and that they had a clear, clear way to go. So what will be your role? How will we work together? Like, but also understand what they want to achieve. For example, like one company uh, that we were working closely together with just said like, hey, is it your goal to stay like a country lead in this country? Do you want to become this? Or do you want to go into an international role? He said like, Actually, I never thought of, but actually moving my key skills into an international role would actually be a perfect next step in my career that I didn't ever expect to happen. <laughs> so like really giving them opportunities, showing up those opportunities and uh, making sure people get together. Um, so there are also a lot of in-person meetings. We make sure that there's a small team that is taking care of the M&A and the integration afterwards that this small team is the only point of contact in the beginning, for example. This makes very much sense because if not, they have like I don't know, 100 people from 10 different departments running to them. They're completely overwhelmed and they are just like the whole thing gets a negative connotation, right? So keep it positive. Show up. We don't want to like start one company just swallowing another. It's really two companies coming together, building up something new and actually bringing the whole business model and also the hyper growth to the next stage. The question I was also really looking forward to get into was the strategic planning process. Now, you might disagree with this entirely, but ultimately, strategy is not about the day-to-day. -day. It's about making sure that the direction of travel um, is, is as it needs to be. Is your strategic planning process starting 10 years out, five years out, three years out, Marion? I would love to just get a little insight in someone that's doing this role full-time as to what that process looks like to see if there could be anything learned absolutely for me, but also for listeners as well. So one thing that's special about WeFox is that since day one, the vision, mission, and also the values didn't change. So it was very clear already when uh, the company was founded, what's like really the long-term goal, right? Where do they want to go? go? Working with a golden circle, everybody who's in strategy will be kind of familiar. So you have the why, how, what um, defined. Um, and with a very clear message and um, actually taking this. And in the beginning, it was a yearly planning or even a quarterly planning, right? Because it was, everything was going very fast. And with the scaling of the company and obviously also uh, the complexity that increases, you obviously also need to increase the time horizon you're planning in. So obviously, first step is a year, then it's it's three years, then it's five years. In 2021, we decided that we are ready to have a clear goal for 2030. So that means we went into kind of 10-year planning the first time. Planning meant we have a clear goal, right? So in December 2030 or in January 2030, we want to be there. This is the goal. This is where we want to be. This is what we want to be. And defined this very clear and also said, like, now everybody has to agree this is not going to change. Because it's based on our vision and mission. And then what we are doing is like, obviously, th the three years uh, hats need a bit more detailed planning. So then you go into, okay, 
where do we need to be? I always call it like closing the gap. So where do I need to be in end of 2022, 2023, 2024, for example? Where do I need to be at the end of this year to make sure we are still able to close the gap until 2030? Obviously on a very high level. And then handing it over to the responsible people in their areas, making sure they also obviously collaborate, have sessions and workshops, get in all the people that need to bring in requirements, preconditions, or also challenges that they already see uh, see ahead to make sure we have a very clear defined plan for the, the next year. And then actually for year two and three, at least the biggest milestones, where do we need to be per quarter, for example, need to be defined. We need to understand where does the platform have to be next year to make sure we are able to be what we want to be in 2030. Right. So this is um, this is one of the things that we do. And then obviously it's also about making sure you have an infrastructure that then takes over the whole thing into the operative business, into the day to day business, as you just call it, and make sure that all the projects that make sure you achieve those milestones are very well executed on spot. They have good reporting. So you have a direct alert if you if just going the wrong direction. Or something comes up that might even change the like the goals you set up for the next years because there was a huge innovation. Let's take all the AI, right? That is coming right now. <laughs> Everything, all the innovation there, all the opportunities. This obviously made a lot of tech startups just rethink, okay, do we probably, can we be faster? Can we achieve this earlier by using this innovative method methodologies and everything coming up? And then the last thing, and one of the really critically most important things where you should have no excuses, you should set goals that you can either answer with a yes or no. So did I achieve it? Yes or no. There's no probably somehow. No, it's a yes or a no, right? So this is e either it's numbers. So you have clear KPIs that you want to reach. So did we reach this number? Yes or no. Or you have a clear deliverable. And this is what you need to have to also make sure that everybody in the company is able to really work together on this one goal and on the five main goals for the company to make sure you go the right direction and also enables people, even like the office manager, to think in a three-year dimension. Because if you're not into the business day by day, but you're taking care of the employees like an office manager, like how should you understand, you know, what's really going on in tech or in sales or operations if that's not your job? So make sure you have goals that are understandable, that can be answered with yes or no, and make sure you take the right planning horizon at the right point of time. Because if you try it too early, you will just write an, a, a nice fairy tale. Often the sign of someone that's really good at what they do is that they're able to describe it to an idiot. <laughs> and maybe I'm doing myself a slight disservice there. That was so clear and it was so logical and it kind of seemed so, um, you know, so matter of fact that I, I, I really love that explanation. I'm going to be taking a lot away from that for sure myself. When you're discussing a 10-year aim, how many people are in the room? So what we did is um, we're actually always looking into, okay, what was already there, right? So it's not that we always reinvent goals, even not for the 10-year uh, outlook, right? It's really looking at, okay, where do you want to be? What is the mission? What did we already do? What was the goal for this year or until last year? Whatever, look look at it and see where we want to go. Then this is this is like decided. I would say like there were about I would say twelve people in the room from different countries, different roles, mainly senior management, really kicking off the thoughts, going into which, into which direction should we go, right? And then really taking this message 
one level down into the senior leadership, as we call it, that is actually every senior ma manager across all entities in all countries, taking it there, presenting it, getting feedback, right? Really thinking about, okay, does that work for you? What are your thoughts, right? Just shoot and see if it can actually, if it still stands afterwards. So it's a more level approach. So you start in a smaller group because if you have too many people from the beginning, it's like cooking, right? You will have something to eat on the table, but most likely will taste bad. So you just have this message from like, I, I think we were 10 or 12 people going down to like a group of 45 people and then rolling it down. But uh, having a feedback loop in there, getting feedback and also uh, challenge, discuss challenges that people see with specifically this um, this goal that uh, we set there. Yeah. And also challenge yourself actually every year on your 10 year outlook. So you should look at it once a year, sit down in the bigger and the smaller group and say like, okay, is this still valid? Is this, this still the truth? Is this what we want to give back to everybody in the world when it comes to, to our services? If you don't do this, you will most likely just run after a ghost. Or a nice yeah. fairy tale. <laughs> the gold yeah. at the end of the rainbow. Because some things are going to have to evolve. Some things will have to do it to adapt, be it from outside technology or the fact that it made sense before it doesn't make sense now, Marin, right? And, and, and things, some things have to adapt and then be communicated about. Unless you get the execution right, you can come up with all the great strategy you want. If that execution is not getting done right, then no chance of hitting a one-year goal, let alone a 10-year goal. How do you go about in your role, making sure the execution is getting done right? So first of all, as a chief strategy officer, it's, it's key that you have a very close collaboration with certain roles in the company. So for example, with the COO, right, who's actually responsible for all the execution, was also all the knowledge from all the different countries and entities to really make sure that there is a frequent exchange, right? You should probably even talk like a few times a week, you should always be in contact. You should keep yourself updated, right? And then really try to, um, in my role, what I did is like really when I heard things or saw things, saw like projects going a different direction, new opportunities opening up, I sometimes just sat down and, and just was looking at the at the vision and also at the at the strategic goals and the strategy we worked out. And just said, okay, does this change something from my perspective? Yes or no? And if so, I always made sure that those topics were brought into the next into the next meeting with the managing directors to make sure that everybody's aware of it and we can decide, okay, this is what's happening. This is where we are. So there's a very critical project, for example, needs resources and we really need to deliver this at this point of time. And my proposal would be we discuss it and see, is there another strategic topic that we can actually like deprioritize a bit to make sure we pull all the resources on the execution of this, making sure in the end that we fulfill the full picture that we defined for the strategy for the next year or for the 10 years. So as a chief strategy officer, actually a lot of, a lot of what you do is, is communication. You talk to people, you get the updates. You're also the contrarian. So you will step on a lot of people's toes <laughs> once in a while, because obviously it's like, this, yeah, let me do my job and I'm really into it and I'm crazy busy. And there you're doing this, you know, strategy, you know, the framework and 10 year thing. Like, you know, I'm in the day to day business. I need to do this. So how do you manage this? It's building relationships. It's communication and it's being a contrarian and yeah, having the ability to actually 
bring the right topics also to the CEO's mind when he needs them. Because obviously he defined it and he has that he's working towards it, but he has so many other things to do, being the face of the company, that you have to find the right level when it's the right point to talk about it or not. I'm super aware that every single organization, the roles, the, 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 the color job titles, CSO and CEO, CEO, CFO, they really are done very, or can be done quite differently in different organizations. The realm of a CFO and CEO in the US, for example, is often very different to what that looks like in the, in, in the EU. We talked really loosely in relation to the CEO helping be the main, being the main driving force of coming up with the core strategies that are going to allow the long-term aims to be, to be looked at. How does that process, how does that relationship work where is there something for you guys where it's like, right, we get away from the office, we go to the mountains, we have two days at a weekend retreat somewhere. How, how do you make sure that that small C-suite team and, and the relationship between the CSO, CEO is, uh, is the most effective for the business needs? So, um, first of all, um, this is also something uh, we, we challenge ourselves with, right? Do we have the right setup? Is there something that came up that makes necessary that actually, for example, responsibilities change between some of the team team members, right, in the C-suite? This is something we do uh, on a regular basis, as well as um, every three months, the C-suite is coming together, discussing, right, the last quarter, the next quarter, also, but also, again, then the outlook. Are we on the road to close the gap to 2030, right? So this is a question that will always be asked. What's the status of the projects and other things we are working on? What's new? Uh, what should be discussed? And then we really make sure that we spend two days all together in one location. This can be everything. We try to rotate, right? So everybody once in a while has the chance to be in, uh, in Barcelona, <laughs> but also in Berlin and also everywhere else. We are also involving country heads once in a while, right? So for example, if we would be in, in, in Italy, right, uh, for a strategy offsite, then obviously we would would think about, okay, is there anything where it makes sense? Should we have a workshop session or anything involving either the senior team or the country lead of the of, of Italy, for example, of the of the country where that we're in? Right. So we're also trying to rotate to bring some other voices in, depending on what the focus is on. So it's the C-suite, but it's not limited to that. If it makes sense at this point of time to get somebody in, and this is then also part of my job to think about. Whom should we get in additionally for at least a session to make sure we have the perfect foundation to work on and double check our strategy? And once a year, there's a bigger retreat where we really say like, hey, now we not only look at this year or the quarters of where we are, we really challenge like the five years, 10 years vision uh, and targets that we set in our strategy, as I said before, to make sure it still makes sense. The world didn't change too much <laughs> to still make sure it makes sense for everybody, not only for us. And, and what kind of size group is that once a year? That's also depending. It's also around 10 people, I would say. But it's, yeah, it, it's a bit different because let me take one example, right? If you look at the platform we are building, um, that really in the end will connect anybody to anybody in the insurance from distribution and insurer worldwide and obviously enable the users through that to get the best service and best product possible. We, if we look at this and then it really goes into the technical depth that we need to look at to make sure we are actually going with the innovation happening around us. We, for example, sometimes then not only have the CTO with us, who is obviously part of the, of the C-suite or the chief platform officer, 
we are also then thinking about, okay, do, do we have one specific person in the tech area uh, or per platform area that should come in to explain to the whole group what is actually happening, right? What are they actually doing and who can speak like from the front directly into this room and tell us what needs to be changed and what should we go on doing? So we keep it flexible. We have the core group and really adjust to what is needed because to define those things and also to define the, um, the people joining a certain meeting or a certain session to define this a year in advance, to be honest, will only block you from being an innovative tech startup. It will actually really slow you down. It will like constraints into a planning process that should be as flexible as possible. Because in the end, always say like strategy, it's long term, it's not changing that much. It shouldn't, but you have to challenge yourself and you need to change it if the time is there. If you don't do this, you will fail as a company. In your experience, yes, with WeFox, but also with the businesses that you consult and advise with that are kind of, uh, you know, where WeFox were many years ago, what are the biggest things that you see that stop businesses from scaling as they want to? Are there some main uh, main things that happen continually over and over that you see, well, there's some pretty common threads here? Yes, there are. Um, I think you should. what you should have from day one is... Um, you should be aware of that you will start. You have a you have a great idea. Everybody is like everybody is thinks like awesome and those founders and those guys and the idea this will be the next big thing, unicorn, decacorn, wherever you go. Right? But you have to be aware from day one that after this hyper growth, like investors want to be with you, customers, everybody wants to work for you, everything is fine, everything is shiny, you will enter the valley of death. You will enter the valley of death. And then you have to take care that you keep your lights on. And if you're not preparing for that from day one, you will actually never be the successful company that everybody will even, everybody will still talk about in 10 years from now. You will be like a little, you know, you, yeah, you're just, you know, you, you are a rising star and then you, then you disappear. This is what happens. So this is one of the, of the big challenges that you face. Be aware of that at a certain point, you will need a business that runs, that becomes profitable and that keeps the lights on and that you have a huge responsibility for all the people working for you that you have, that will go with you through this valley of death and you should do everything to take them with you. This is one thing. The other thing is really be aware from the beginning, like get a challenger, get a contrarian in, right? This can be an advisor. This can be a mentor from university. This can be just somebody who's, who's like somehow in the startup world. Get in, pitch once in a while your ideas, get challenged and take it with you, right? Like you, you need to be obvious and you believe in your idea. This is what you should, and you should follow it and follow your vision that you had, but take people that come in your way that challenge you and take a contrarian that is with you very close that actually makes you realize what you really have to do and how you will manage your startup through that. Is there any interesting reading or places that uh, people that want to know a little bit more? Because it sounds pretty ominous. <laughs> um, is, is there some places that people could go to read a bit more about the value of death? You will find, like, if you if you Google Valley of Death uh, startup, you will find a lot of nice uh, uh, graphics and you will find a lot of explanations. Um, I think what is the most valid thing to look at, especially for young founders um, or for founders in general who never who never uh, never went through it before, is like read like articles with the experience, right, of people who went through it, who managed through it, and who were also very honest because it's a challenge. It's hard. 
like you will you will fail <laughs> you will fail you will cry <laughs> you will think like oh my god we will never get this done but if you have the right team around you you will get it done and you just have to believe in but if you don't have that it will be an even bigger challenge so yeah just google it and also find your own way way right uh something you can also hear in the talk um that you you will link to is um it's like the VUCA environment, right? It's something that the Navy SEALs use. So it's like, it's really, it's the environment is crazy. It's, it's volatile. It's uncertain. It's ambiguous. And you will face, you will face like tons of different challenges that actually people in other areas are preparing for, for years before they, before they're sent somewhere to execute their, their job. And you will just stand in front of it and have to manage it. Find your way and think about how your company can go through that. And fight it with transparency and make sure you take all the people who are giving a lot of uh, time, work, uh, sweat <laughs> uh, for, for the company and for your idea to make sure you give it them transparency, take them with you, motivate them because they are actually the ones who will, who will be the ones help you to build a unicorn. Quick fire question. If there was one learn that you'd want our listeners to take away. In relation to scaling, Marion, what would it be? It would be that don't underestimate uh, culture and the whole process of scaling. Don't underestimate the importance of leadership for each and every employee in the company and force yourself to, to transparency and also to rethink your own ideas, even though you believed in them since the start, because sometimes this is what you need to do to stay successful. Marion, I like that a lot. Belia, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your leadership learns and your journey with us today. I know that there'll be lots that would have resonated with the listeners and like me, they'll be taking away some valuable ideas. Thank you everyone for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please give a five-star rating and share with others in your network. Thanks again for coming on, Marion. Thank you for having me.